Hello. Um, I think I'm live. Can everyone hear me? The sound coming through. Hello, everyone. Um, well, the uh, we know we're here. The the report was out. Um, there's been lots of analysis. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be lots of discussion in the chat. Um, do let me know once you, if you can uh, you can hear me. Um, there is there's a huge amount of news to cover, and my plan is that we're going to cover. Almost none of it. In fact, there isn't going to be a news segment tonight because there's so much news to cover again. I think we're going to need to have another um, another news sweep up to capture all of the news that's been happening. Um, yeah. Uh, hello, everyone. Yes. Good stuff. Uh, yes, there's going to be lots of chat in there. If, if there's something, remember, if there's something you want me to see. Oh, actually, I will retweet. I will retweet. Do the old quote tweet and then pin that. There we go. Um, good. There's all sorts of things happening. We're not going to worry about that too much. Um, so, yeah. Um, sorry, it's a bit. I was a little late there. Just to make sure that I. There's a lot of stuff that I wanted to capture, but I also don't want to rerun territory that we have. Um, rerun territory that we've tr trodden before. Um, uh, yeah, there's 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 things we're going to go through and review and and, and look through. Um, in some detail but my, so the plan tonight in fact let's go big face so I can talk to you about what's going on hello everyone um the plan tonight is that we're gonna um there's very little to do before we we kick off uh not gonna go do any uh not gonna do any news have a look at the COVID stats we will do that um then we'll kick off and we're gonna start uh firstly we're gonna you just 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 watch you know verbatim watch the uh the RAIB have done a little video, and I think it's well worth us just watching that, just sitting for four minutes, five, five minutes, just watching that outright. Um, because I think it's good to just, before I've said anything really about it, let's just get the RAIB's line on, on the on the overall picture. We'll then go through the, the, the report. We'll skip through the summary, because the summary is not not hugely short, so we'll kind of skip through that. Uh, but we'll, we're going to work our way through from from kind of the detailed section of the report from, from start to finish and look at every point in turn and see what we can pick up out of it. Um, I've no doubt I'll be running. I've got water here, although I can't remember how. Tastes a bit weird. We're not going to worry about that. Uh, I can't remember how long ago it is that I filled that bottle up. Water is is fine, right? Um, so we're going to go through, and then we're going to pick up. Um, we're going to pick up on the three. What I think are the three, and I'll come to them in a minute. We're going to pick up on what I think are the three main takeaways here. Three kind of key key lessons that we need to take away and learn. Uh, and indeed, I'll, I'll I'll tell you what those are just before we read through the report, so you've kind of got them in the back of your head, and then we'll have a little think about what we're gonna what we can kind of take away from those, um, focusing on those three things, um, but with a particular focus perhaps on the last, given that it was quite a key theme of the previous episode about this when the interim report came out. So that's the plan. Let's get started, shall we? Let's get rid of my face and uh, and let's continue. So, first of all, the COVID stats. Um, uh, well, how are we doing? To be honest, not a huge amount of report. Steady, steady progress. Um, what are we doing down here? I've, I've switched my cursor on so you can see my cursor because we're going to obviously be looking through the PDF. Uh, you can see things are just sort of steadily rising. There's been a bit of a bit of a bump and then a, a, a rise and then a, the, some of the numbers have been corrected again. So it's, things are sort of steadily going on. But it looks like there's sort of a bit of a wavy... It's kind of doing that at the moment. And I think that a lot of that is... A reasonable amount of that looks to be as a result of the limited timetable. You know, there's a, there's a, we just, I, I was being interviewed on, on Radio Leeds um, 
uh, earlier in the week about the fact that there are more cuts being announced to services across Yorkshire. It's just uh, a very strange situation to be in where we're cutting rail services. But anyway, uh, if we zoom in a bit, let's have a, let's have a closer look. So you can see there's this sort of this sort of uh, sort of sine wave going on here. Don't forget this this will increase. It always does. So we expect to see this increase. We reached a peak of about seventy five percent usage there. Um, I, I'm expecting to see us climbing towards that again when this the latest data comes out. So, so obviously there's always a bit of a gap in the data. Uh, there's a very steady uh, trend line in terms of rail, uh, sorry, road usage that you can see there. Um, I've not done a very straight line, but you can sort of see what's going on. You can see the trend quite clearly. Uh, cycling's gone up a bit because there's nice weather. Uh, it'd be interesting to see exactly what it does just now because the weather's lovely and it, to the point where I really need to get on my bicycle. It's, it's gorgeous out there. It's marvellous. Um, so, yeah, uh, we're going to see see what else is going on. You see bus services jumped up after the after the measure, measures were removed, which is quite interesting. Kind of coincided with, well, there was also a leap in rail usage. Um, yeah, interesting. So that's the, the COVID stats. As I say, we're not going to be looking at the news um, in any detail. Uh, cycling definitely helped by the recent uh, relatively nice weather, uh, Deirdre. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we're not going to look at the news. We are going to do is look at um, look at this. Oh, I shot my own fox by not putting the animations in. Wait a minute. Let's, I can do this. I can do this on the fly. You can all pretend you didn't see that, and, you, and, and it's all good. Uh, uh, up here. Up here appear it's as if i planned it in advance right uh yes so we're going to look at annual uk greenhouse gas emissions by transport policy intervention so um actually you know what i should also it's, it's not emissions just impacts there we are there we go that's that's better isn't it um and uh so so i, I i've corrected this slide because uh I, I put this up as a gif but alex Priestley, friend of the show uh got very angry about it and and, and accused it of being a very lib dem graph so i've updated it to make alex Priestley less angry alex if you're watching which i know you won't be uh stuff it i've fixed it for you um so uh, some interventions this is this is a, a graph that i use in 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 I created it as part of HS2 Battles. I now use it when I talk and teach about sustainability. Um, I, I've just done another bit of data wrangling, which um, which is interesting in relation to embodied carbon, which I, I will capture. Um, there's so much in the news, but we're just not going to look at the news today because there's just way, way too, well, just there's just far too much, um, far too much to look at, and um, and I think it'd be better to focus on it without rushing. And I want to make sure we give carbon full focus. So, um. Uh, let's see. So uh, 3.6 million tons of CO2 equivalent can be saved annually by decarbonizing, uh, by full decarbonization of the rail network overnight like that. Snap fingers, it's done. Um, with a sufficient, with a, with a, with a kind of 10% modal shift towards rail, you could be looking at, um, uh, you can be looking, I, I'm going to need to put a little, a little bit of text underneath each of these, aren't I, just to, to make it really clear. Um, with a 10% modal shift towards rail, you can achieve 9.5 million tonnes of CO2 equivalent savings annually. So those, those are quite substantial, right? But you'll notice there's a big gap over here um, because in 2019, and these are 2019 figures, actually the 2018 figures, 2018, 2019 figures, in 2019, the fuel duty freeze had already be was already costing 18 plus million tons of CO2 equivalent per year. So all of the good that everything I do in my day job, um, uh, all all of the good stuff that that all of us do to try and drive modal shift is just cancelled out entirely by the fuel duty freeze. So this gives an idea of how much 
transport policy is hopeless in this country for redirecting uh, transport emissions. It's abso- just absolutely appalling. Uh, Deirdre, um, uh, embodied carbon sounds very interesting. Any good data sources? No, it's just very high level stuff that I've come up with. But it, it was the um, uh, it was a tweet that I was replying to about someone was going on about the fact that EVs are the solution, and I was pointing out that a conversion of so so if you um, so HS2's embodied carbon is um, is about uh, what is it? it's around about fourteen million uh, uh, tons CO two. Uh, um, if you go for the TDNS. So the TDNS, the Traction Decarbonisation Network Strategy Proposals, that's around about pretty much exactly 9 million. Um, Cars, so converting to EVs, is between 400 and 600 million tonnes of CO2 equivalent. So... um, uh, so those are the numbers, uh, Deidre. Uh, I do have sources, but they're fairly straightforward. So so the HS2 figures are come from HS2. So those come from HS2. Uh, the TDNS figures uh, goes for 680 tonnes per single track kilometre and then multiplying that by the total number of, six, of single track kilometres. And the TDNS quotes that 680 tonnes per STK figure itself. So I'm just using their own numbers here. And, and it, it says that that's quite a conservative estimate. So that's the numbers for those two. Cars is just a multiplication of the 32.3 million uh, ICE cars currently running on Britain's roads, uh, on the UK's roads, and multiplying that by uh, some average EV figures. Or so it's between 10 and 20. So actually, it's six. If you if you take 20 tons per per vehicle, that's 646 million tons of CO2 uh, equivalent. So that's a huge number. That's about 46 HS2. So I was just using it as an order of magnitude indication for anyone who's going. I've had people going, um, oh, EVs are the solution. They're, they're, they're the thing. They're the way to solve the problem. It's like, nope, they involve an enormous, a frightening volume of uh, CO2 emissions just to build those cars. So uh, that's that. And that's the end of that. We're now moving into to talk about Carmen. I, I said I was going to be quick. I've already been talking for 11 minutes. I'm doing a bad job. So Carmen. There's the offending pile of rubble. Um, we're going to talk about Carmen. That's what tonight is all about. Um, it's going to be somber, but we're we're we're, we're talking um, we're talking about the uh, Adam Evans. Did I use Volvo stats for the EV figure? Uh, no, actually, I come. I, I've used between ten and twenty. So Volvo quote twenty for their sort of vehicle, and the Leaf is ten tons. But uh, so I'm assuming a kind of a halfway house between those two. Right. Anyway. Um. Carment. We're gonna. It's it's okay. It's gonna be somber because it's 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 pretty ups. It's still pretty raw. But we have to learn from this, and we need to talk about these. Um, we have to talk about this stuff. Um, we have to talk about the the, the what we can learn, the mistakes that were made, uh, and and we'll go through and read everything. And it's gonna be, yeah. It's not gonna be a. It's not gonna be a fun episode, but it should be an informative episode. So um, let's get on with it. Welcome to tonight's show. <laughs> City 225 fading away. There it goes. Ah, oh, very nice. At some point, I need to work out how to do that thing physically. Um, we did this before, didn't we? We looked at the interim report, which in and of itself is pretty harrowing. But it, you know, it, 
it was listing out all the information they did have um, and de detailing where there were gaps. There were quite a few things that we picked up on. If you remember, in the immediate aftermath, I listed off things that I would be looking at. I did a thread kind of within the week after the accident, so even like a year before this episode, listing off things that I, was, I would look at. And, and I have to say that that list has ended up very much mirroring what is now um, in the final report. But for any, any anyone who's not watched it, then there is stuff in, in that episode, in the current derailment, looking at the interim report episode that we're going to be looking at. Uh, we're not going to be looking at again. We're not going to be viewing some of that stuff in detail. So so it's maybe it's maybe one for context. It was a long episode, but um, we're going to be looking at slightly different things. I'm sure lots of you have watched it already, but it, it just it's just a bit of a pointer. If you want more, if you kind of want an early look at some of this stuff, uh, a bit of context, then... Uh, jump back to episode 59, um, uh, the karmic derailment, looking at the interim report. It's worth also saying, uh, you know, I'm going to put a content warning in immediately that uh, I've, I've hopefully not done any of it yet. This is going to contain descriptions and images from rail crashes, which is can be quite upsetting for a lot of people. So uh, this is just a content warning for anyone listening, uh, for anyone watching that this is, um, that it's, if, if that's going to upset you, then then either, you know, do what you need to do to prepare for that or or maybe don't watch this one and, and, and rejoin us next week but there's going to be a lot to learn from this so while some of the images are going to be pretty upsetting pretty harrowing stuff um i, I think it's it's worth us diving through this this report in, in good detail so that's precisely what we're going to do now before i um yeah the first thing is uh we're going to watch the before i, I bring my little face up we're going to watch the uh we're going to watch the raib um, the RAIB's kind of four and a half minute little video. I think it's well worth us watching that. Um, hopefully the sound balance should be all right, but let's uh, let's have a watch and then we'll we'll come out of that and we'll we'll dive into the report. So here's their summary. Just before nine thirty-seven a.m. on Wednesday, the twelfth of August, two thousand and twenty. Train 1 Tango 08 collided with debris that had been washed out from a drain onto the track at Carmont, near Stonehaven in Aberdeenshire. At the point it struck the debris, the train was travelling at 73 miles per hour. The train derailed and deviated to the left before striking a bridge parapet which caused the vehicles to scatter. After destroying part of the parapet, the power car fell off the bridge and down onto a wooded embankment below. The following carriages travelled in different directions beyond the bridge. One ran down the steep embankment, two others overturned and a third came to a rest with one end on top of another carriage. Tragically, three people died as a result of the accident. The conductor, the train driver and a passenger. The remaining six people on the train were all injured. RAIB immediately sent a team of inspectors by air and road to Carment to begin a detailed investigation. To establish the precise sequence of events, we analysed electronic data gathered from on-train data recorders, weather stations, CCTV and voice communications. We also closely examined the track, the bridge and the washout debris. Investigation work on the land above the railway included surveying, the measurement of groundwater and testing of soil characteristics. We reviewed the design, construction and maintenance of the drainage system. RAIB carefully examined the train to assess the damage caused in the derailment. The investigation also looked at the railway's management of extreme rainfall events and underlying management factors.
There had been near-continuous heavy rain in that area since before six o'clock that morning, and this continued for more than three hours. RAIB's investigation identified that material had washed out onto the track because heavy and sustained rainfall had washed gravel and other material out of and from around a steeply sloped section of drainage trench. This trench contained a perforated pipe that had been installed as part of a project to address a known problem with drainage and the stability of a cutting in that area. However, the drainage system and associated earthworks had not been correctly constructed and so were not able to safely accommodate the water flows that morning. At about 7 o'clock on the day of the accident, train 1 Tango 08 had just passed Carmont signal box en route from Aberdeen towards Dundee when it was instructed to stop because of a landslip and flooding that had been reported on the line ahead. It was decided that the train should return towards Aberdeen and the accident occurred as it was returning north. By now it had stopped raining and the sun had emerged. No instruction had been given to the driver to slow down on his return journey despite the weather conditions earlier that morning and the known existence of floods and landslips elsewhere on the railway. There were also numerous other infrastructure failures in eastern and central Scotland on that morning. The railway's rulebook made no general provision for imposing speed restrictions following extreme rainfall events like this, and control room staff did not have the information, procedures or training to manage a widespread and complex weather event of this type. RAIB has made 20 recommendations for the improvement of safety. These cover important safety learning in areas such as how the railway manages extreme weather events, the management of civil engineering construction activities, management assurance of railway control functions, train design and applying learning from previous events. So there we go. I think that was useful to go through. Uh, thanks to the team at RAIB who put that together, and and, and absolutely the, the the report is very thorough. It's a it's a good it's a good report. So um, I, I think this is a um, this is yeah uh, hopefully useful. Um, and and we're going to say the three there are three there are three there's three C's I think summarize best what we what we need to pay attention to in the report. And what we're going to learn from it. So, so these are the three C's to look out for, and and I'll explain each of these in in turn. Particularly the first, because I realise the first is a bit jargony, but um, the first is CDM regulations. That's construction design management regulations. Those are the legal framework within which construction activities happen within the UK. Um, have you noticed I've gone more Scottish after I heard the guy speaking in the video? It's just a natural code shift thing. I totally <laughs> switched me. Anyway. Uh, crisis management is the second uh, item we're going to look at. That's the three C's, and the third is uh, is crashworthiness, as, you, as you'd rightly expect, um, given given kind of what we went through in the last episode and what I've been talking about since following the report's publication. Those are the three C's, and we're gonna we're gonna get into it. There, here is the the RIB report, um, and it's we're gonna we're gonna go through right now. Here it is. Um, any questions while we're there? Let's get my wee face up in the corner. Um, hello. I'm here. I'm here to see you all. Um, yeah, the weather was horrendous. Um, Matt Reed's asking if anything's been covered up. No, I don't think there's any evidence to that um, uh, at all. Uh, no, no, not at all. Um, 
we'll we'll come through some of this stuff. Uh, it ties this this whole this instant ties together a lot of themes that we've gone through in Real Natter before. Um, let's get on with it. So we've got the so if, if for anyone who's not uh, peeled through one of the modern RIV reports, there's kind of fairly standard format. So there's the the front cover. There's the very very vigorously two thousands RIB logo. Um, uh, there's the version control. Lovely. You can be reassured that it's the initial issue that we've got. So there's no 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 particular fiddling has gone on. Uh, there's the preface, which we're going to skip through. There's the synopsis, which we're going to whiz through all the S's. So we don't need to see that because we're going through this whole thing in detail. Um, here's the report. And so in terms of the structure of the report, we're going to have a look. So it's, it's, first of all, we've got, we'll, we'll have an introduction that we'll, we will go through and read. Um, there's the, the accident itself, all the information that we've got there, the sequence of events. So there's the, 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 the events running up to the accident, the events during the accident, the events following the, events following the a accident, and then the analysis. So there's the identifi identification of the immediate cause, then looking at the causal factors, um, and then there's the consideration, consideration of kind of other issues as well. Uh, kind of within uh, lots of things to consider within that the identification of any underlying factors so so um, immediate cause causal factors underlying factors um, and there's a lot uh, in there uh, examination of the consequences of the incident so there's there's a lot to look through there um, and then any other kind of there's, there's other bits you know anything else that we can can look through um, a summary of the conclusions so so kind of uh, going through and just we'll, we'll kind of be able to revisit that re, kind of remind ourselves what's been picked up in there already um anything that's already happening that's relevant to the report so things that have happened since the interim or indeed since the, the interim report or since the initial accident uh incident sorry um kind of so we'll be able to have a look at some of that so we can report on what's been going on um and and then the recommendations we'll go through each of the recommendations in turn and then if if necessary we can kind of pick up some of these uh, appendices, you know, have, have a look at some of the, the information. But I think everything that's relevant will be within the the body of the report. Uh, people are asking, so so a few questions coming through already. Uh, firstly, David Shepard is asking, how does the size of the report compare to previous ones? It's about what you'd expect for a, for an incident of this this scale. Um, you know, Grey Rig was uh, kind of a, a similarly significant. Well, actually, this has a lot of it because particularly because of the complexity of the three the three kind of interlinked issues. There's a lot of, particularly the the, under, the the kind of the causal factors in relation to operation, you know, crisis management. That's that involves a lot of evidence. So, um, yes, I, I think it's 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 a bit more chunky relative to, for example, Grey Rig, but it's not um, not dissimilar. I think you know they haven't gone into you know the the, the level of detail is is about on par. Um, there is an executive summary. Well, no, there's a. There's a, a large synopsis section, but I think rightly so. They, they've not compressed it into a page, one pager because I just don't think it's uh, uh, I don't think it's the right uh, scale. So um, let's see, uh, Eddie. Okay, there's there's some questions coming through that I think we'll start to answer as we go through. Uh, Gregor uh, is pointing out. Gregor McCabry is um, pointing out. No matter how many times we see the mangled wreckage, it still hits home. It is absolutely. It was an absolutely horrific incident. It really was. So let's. Um, Let's start working our way through. So here's the introduction, um, and that's it's just it's just a bit of scene setting. So metric units are used in the report, except where it's normal railway practice to give speeds and locations in imperial units. So kind of normal railway practice, uh, where appropriate, the equivalent metric value is also given. Uh, the report contains abbreviations and technical terms. Well, if I do any, if I refer to any of these um, without 
translating them, you know what to do. Always, um, uh, always call me up on it. Just put put an at, and I'll describe any anything that I just I kind of any jargon terms that I use that you don't understand. Uh, give it, give it a shout. Give me a shout. Um, uh, sources of evidence used in the investigation including Appendix C, details of railway standards reference report included in Appendix P. Okay, fine. At the accident site, the down line carries northbound trains travelling towards Aberdeen. The up line is used by southbound trains travelling towards Dundee and Perth. Positions on the railway described as the distance from Carlisle via Perth and are now closed route through Forfar. Our, our wonderful railway and its confusing uh, datums. Some positions are given using chains. Uh, hopefully not many of them. Uh, and then uh, left and right relate to facing forward on the train being described. Minor inconsistencies in the time clocks used by various data sources have been dealt with by recalibrating to British summer time. We're rounding as appropriate times recorded to the nearest second are rounded down to the nearest minute. There we go. So there's some a bit of introduction for us. And um, here we go. So... Here is a summary of the accident. Uh, actually, I'm going to get rid of this whackum because we don't, we don't, we don't need it at this point. Uh, at around 9:37 hours on Wednesday, the 12th of August, 2020, a passenger train collided with debris washed from a train onto the track near Carment, Aberdeenshire, following heavy rainfall. The train, uh, One Tango 08, was the 0638 hours service from Aberdeen to Glasgow, which was returning towards Aberdeen because the line to the south was blocked by landslip. So we know this stuff. We've seen the summary. I'm not going to read the whole thing, by the way. This isn't an exercise in just reading out. We're going to kind of go through and pick out the things that are relevant. So we know where the accident occurred. We know that it occurred. Um, uh, uh, we know which bridge it occurred on. Um, it occurred next to the 221 mile post. Um, here's kind of the image that's that's been the, the press image, the high resolution press image that's been doing the rounds. Um, so we know that there's bridge 325. We know what happened. Um, we kind of described this in the previous episode, didn't we? So we know this stuff. We've kind of gone through the uh, what's happened. We know the organisations involved, Network Rail, Abelia, Scott Rail. Um, we've seen this image and the kind of description of what's uh, of kind of what happened, the final position of the train. We understand the stuff. We understand the bridge was over the Karen Water. Um, we know kind of the layout of the left-hand bend approaching and then the reverse curve uh, over the bridge. We've seen this imagery, I think, last time as well. Uh, so we've got all the other organisations, uh, sort of. So Angel Trains, uh, the Roscoe, the, the the Rolling Stock Leasing Company that that owned the the vehicles. Wabtech are the ones who did the the, the refurbishment to the to the new stand, kind of to, to updating them to the Inter Seven City sort of style. Um, uh, let's see. Um, So, uh, Carillion, I, I'll, I will pick up some questions, by the way, but I'm going to kind of, I'll, I'll make some headway and then I'll pause and look back through questions. Carillion are the, the civil engineering contractor, RIP, who um, who uh, no longer exist, but they, uh, yeah, uh, they went into liquidation, as, as we see here. Um, but they were the ones who built this, the drain. Um, uh, we'll get there. Arup are the ones who designed it. Story, um, they were undertaking scour protection works at the time of the incident. Um, Amy uh, were uh, are the ones who, and for a long time, have done the the, the ins inspections of earthworks and structures, and so lots of all these organisations, um, including the liquidator and special managers in respect of Carillion, freely cooperate with investigations. So there we go. So everyone got involved and didn't didn't get in the way of things. Um, again, I think we're going to 
whiz through some of this prep because I think everyone knows this stuff and we went through it in detail beforehand. So so we don't need to so we're going to be focusing more on the specifics of what happened. Um uh, so there is a question here from Lewis which is worth just um Yes, uh, Lewis Bergen, uh, I'm lagging behind, da, 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 but question, are the findings by the RIB sent to other institutions around the world for their learning? Generally, I, I, I think people will have, uh, yes, they do get sent around, actually, but they generally get picked up for learning by those other organizations. So the RIB make it publicly available, and it, it, it's there to be picked up by other uh, railway undertakings, if, if needs be. So we know the train involved, but let's not dwell on that. We know there's an HST. Um, we kind of know the infrastructure as well. We looked at this. We know that Carmen's signal box was very close to the incident. Um. Uh, so so there we go. Yeah, that's the, the rail infrastructure. So fine. It's it's absolute block signaling using a mixture of semaphore and color light signals. Okay. Uh, the the root control room uh was uh, is at the is at the signaling center, the West of Scotland signaling center in Calairs, uh, which is in Glasgow. What else have we got? Um. This is, yeah, this, this is kind of key. There is evidence of previous landslips or rockfalls affecting the railway cuttings between Carmen and Stenhaven. Uh, Network Rail expressed the view that the extent of instability was not unusual in earthworks of this age and type. Uh, a landslip in 1915 caused a train to derail at a location a short distance south of the accident site. Deterioration of the cutting slope on the west uh, left-hand side of the railway, uh, including a landslip which blocked both, both lines in 2008, resulted in Network Rail... Instructing Carillion in 2009 to commence planning improvement works. Arup did the design for these works, um, which uh, they did some uh, kind of uh, rockfall netting. They they kind of and they they kind of that they designed this new drain running along the top of the west side of the cutting. Um, the the new drain was necessary because an old crest drain um, was not functioning effectively. The historical drainage is, is is described in Appendix G. Okay, so there's some historical drainage that was replaced, and we'll get to the detail of that uh, momentarily. So, um, so in December two thousand and ten, so ten years before the incident, really, um, Network Rail instructed Carillion to, to to build this this work, kind of this this the design the new drain. Um, was installed in two phases, uh, in 20, uh, first in 2011, the second in 2012. Uh, it comprised a, a certain size of pipe, um, uh, sort of a, in, a, in a gravel-filled trench. So that's, that's a filter drain. So it's a kind of the water filters through that into the pipe and gets carried away. Um, uh, the specification required no more than 5%. Uh, da, da, da. So there's a little stuff. We'll, we'll get into the detail of the drain. There's no point dwelling on it. I kind of want to make some headway. So this describes the drain. Um, it describes... Yeah, so here we are. Um, the final, yeah, okay, so this is just describing the kind of the shape of the drain. So here's here's the gravel-filled drain. You can sort of see it here, right? And and this is sort of a bit of a diagram explaining what the what the French drain looks like, what the filter drain looks like. So, um, so you've got surface water flow, and generally you've also got sub subsurface water flow kind of percolating through the soil. Um, You've got the perforated pipe, uh, and that's sort of above it has the gravel filled trench. Below it, it's not perforated; that carries the water. And then the downslope on the other side, um, uh, there was sort of a, a geotextile permeable sheet on the upslope face of the the trench and over the top of the drain. Uh, fine, okay. Uh, so that's the that's that's as it was found. It's worth noting that's as it's found, not necessarily as it was designed. Uh, and so you can see the the kind of the uh, is this all right? By the way, can everyone sort of see this? Um, uh, there we are. So we've got the there's the drain there. We've got the 
the, the steeping, the sort of crest drain going kind of steeply uh, sloping down the hill and then meeting the, the drainage parallel to kind of at the level of the track. So there's this sort of top of the hill, steep, uh, steep sort of crest drain, and then meets the drainage at the bottom of the hill, uh, sort of next to uh, the bottom of the uh, cutting face next to the railway. Um, yeah, so there we go. So we've got so there's a description of the bridge, which isn't hugely relevant or interesting, and we've got a description of the staff, so the driver, the conductor. Um, uh, it was a yeah, the driver was actually a trainee driver from from 2013. Um, uh, but they so they'd been driving. Uh, he had been driving the the trains since 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 2013. Uh, so that's seven years of experience. Um, uh, but the specific train in question. Uh, you'll be driving since February 2020, but that's not particularly an, an issue in this situation, uh, as well as we'll see. Uh, conductor had been on the railway for 37 years as a driver until 2005, and then as a conductor um, in 2018. Bearing in mind that they're competent to drive HSTs for ScotRail, it made sense because, um, uh, it, yeah, there's, the, 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 those trains only arrive with ScotRail um, kind of quite late, you know, quite late in the day. Uh, they, they were only running them after the kind of the big rolling stock reshuffle in 2018, wasn't it? Um, so we've got uh, another conductor was travelling um, uh, on the uh, to Dundee as a passenger on the train um, uh, because the train that she was supposed to be conductor on had been cancelled. So she 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 um, she was travelling on the train. Uh, the signaller at Carment had been working on the railways for nineteen years. Uh, route control manager had been working uh, on the in the railway industry since nineteen ninety and and the current role since twenty sixteen. So you see, there's lots of experienced people here, really. Lots of experienced people. Um, yeah, there's lots of lots more we can sort of look at. So there's interesting. Uh, so we do go into the network rail staff project managing the Carment project. Um, uh, the route asset manager, who's uh, very experienced, working since two thousand two. So yeah, lots of lots of experience here. Construction manager. So fifteen years of experience with the PM, twenty five years of experience with the construction manager. Um, yeah. And then there's the, all the Carillion staff who are, who are here as well. And then the Arab staff. So there's a geotechnical engineer, um, 10 years experience in that role, a drainage uh, engineer, five years experience, and then the design manager, chartered civil engineer, degree in, in applied geology. So it's worth noting that, um, yeah, chartered engineers, masters, yeah, people with experience sort of, sort of very familiar to myself. Right, external circumstances. So, um, all, so on, on the... 11th of August 2020, the day before the accident, bands of heavy locally intense rainfall moved northwards across southern Scotland, uh, the central belt and the Grampian Mountains. In fact, we've gone through this a bit, haven't we? We know that there is extreme rainfall. So we can see here locally intense rainfall, huge amounts of rainfall, 90% of the average rainfall for the whole month falling uh, local, uh, kind of the nearest location uh, from the accident site for which data is available. So huge amounts of rainfall in a very short space of time. Um. You can see here the rainfall kind of coming up through a huge amount of rainfall and very, very extreme surge of rainfall here. That that sort of, um, that day, uh, kind of through the day, so you can see through the day. Um, and then the next day, it's sort of early again, you've got extremes of, you've these extremes of rainfall again, and actually particular extremes very, very close to site. So the... Very close to the area, locally it's in the area, around Stenhaven, just hugely intense rainfall kind of passing through. Um, yeah, so there's, there's, you can sort of see that there. Yeah, always not good when dates are mentioned in a disaster podcast. Yeah, we're closing in on it, I'm afraid. So, 
There's images here showing the conditions of her on a road near Carmen at um, about close to the time of the accident, actually, there. So, uh, I mean, it's not a very good image, but basically that's a, that's a lot of standing water on the on the road. So a huge amount of water, too much water that can fall and then drain naturally uh, quickly away. I should have a drink of water because I've got a pounding headache. Just a sec. So, um, and again, I, I'm going to whiz through because we, we, we went through this sequence, didn't we, last time? So I don't want to, I kind of want to focus on the learning. So I'm not going to go through super de high quality detail of the sequence of events. So we know that there was heavy rainfall. We know that there was chaos of trains in all directions because there were so many uh, extreme weather event uh, kind of, uh, kind of, um, uh, incidents, extreme weather incidents on the railway that required management. So, so you've got flooding, landslips, and other infrastructure failures as a result of the extreme weather. So huge amounts of problems, you know, huge numbers of problems being managed um, by the control. And when we know that we have the, the trains passing, we, again, we did this last time, and, and it hasn't changed. That's up to date in, in, the, in the interim report. Um, so we've got the, so this is the other earthwork, uh, sort of the other landslide that, that's sort of, you know, washed out rail railway flooded tracks um so so pretty extreme conditions locally so so everyone's in, in in kind of crisis management mode or attempting to be and so we know um so there's, there's a discussion of like how the train's kind of reversing what was happening um so there we go so so that now we can kind of get to the crunch of it so at 9:28 hours the signal used the the gsmr radio system so that's uh, the kind of the, the the standard radio system used across the rail network in the UK to speak to the driver and authorised uh, him to return north to Stenhaven. Train uh, one Tango zero eight moved off and crossed over to the down line near Carmen signal box. CCTV from the forward and rear facing cameras on the train shows that the rain had stopped and the sun was shining as it passed Carmen signal box around uh, about uh, nine thirty four hours. Train speed then inc increased towards seventy five miles an hour, the normal maximum permitted speed at the accident site. Um, while train one, t one Tango 08 was stationary to the South Carmen signal box, witness evidence indicates that the conductor was speaking with passengers and regularly checking on, on their welfare. At or shortly after the time that the train started to move northwards, um, uh, he walked through the train and advised the passengers that only the door at the northern end of the leading coach would be opened at Stenhaven. Therefore, any passengers who wished to leave the train at the station were asked to move to that coach. Interesting. Um, after passing this information on to passengers, the conductor stood in the northern leading vestibule end of coach D, where he remained uh, until the accident. So events during the accident. So in the area of, the, of bridge 325, north of Carmen signal box, heavy rain between f uh, 10 to 6 and 9 o'clock on the day of the accident, washed gravel from the the, the drain, um, the, the, the kind of the problem drain, together with stone and soil eroded from the ground on either side of the drain onto the track. Most of the gravel was washed out from the drain trench for a distance of approximately nine metres immediately upslope. Okay, so we've had the washout. Uh, Modelling indicates the washout pro was probably between 8.15 and 9 o'clock, so that's about 38 minutes before the incident, isn't it? So, um, yeah, so here you've got um, an aerial view showing the, the extent of the washout. You've got um, sort of this is scaffolding erected after the accident um you've got the exposed pipe i know that's very dark but hopefully you can see it um you've got the exposed pipe i wonder if it's going to be sensible for me to zoom in on some of this stuff i think it probably will be won't it uh, when it comes to the yeah coach d was at the front of the train yeah um uh, towards the front of the train i'm not sure it's the one furthest to the front um 
So you've got, uh, so you can see this this kind of washout here. You can see there's, there's this gully that's formed, the washout here, um, the top end of the washout, where it was grass. You see it's just washed out, and it's kind of disappeared off down. It's not good. And here you can see imagery of the washouts. You can see the damage caused there, and then the amount of material, a huge amount of material, quite dense, quite a dense mixture of material as well, washed down onto the uh, onto the rails. So, um, yeah, a lot of material in the way of the train. So... Data from the uh, the on-train data recorder fitted to the trailing power car, so that's the, the one at the back, uh, shows uh, the train travelling about 73 miles an hour, which was less than a maximum pit of speed of 75, as it approached the washout debris. The left-hand curve on the approach would have obstructed the driver's view of the debris until the train was less than 120 metres from it. The train covered this distance in about three and a half seconds. Although the data recorder um, picks up an application of the emergency brake around one second before the train struck the debris, there was insufficient time for this to have had any uh, significant effect on the train's speed. However, the action of applying the emergency brake would have removed traction power from both power cars. When the leading power car struck the debris, it derailed to the left. Its leading end progressively deviated towards the cess, so that's off down the side. Not The cess is the thing that either side of the tracks, the six foot's in the middle. Um, and it continued running derailed for about 60 metres until it struck the south end of bridge 325's downside parapet. After destroying part of the parapet, the power car fell off the bridge and down onto a wooded embankment below. The driver's cab became detached on impact with the ground, and the power car caught fire. Actually, I don't think I will go through and describe this in detail, because you saw it in the animation. I think me describing it is... Um, Perhaps not as useful as the description that we kind of the, the animation that we saw. I'm going to show you the animation again uh, later on. So yeah, Coach D is the one that was. Um, uh, it's, I mean, it's hard to tell from. from I think Coach D is the was the second coach. It wasn't the first coach. It was the second coach. Um, uh, the first coach went down the. Imp no, forgive me. Sorry, that's not right. The first Coach D is the first coach. There, it says it. Literally says it in the diagram. Coach D was the first coach. That's the one that got absolutely obliterated coached c um jackknifed and and upside down coach uh, b the third coach went down the embankment and coach a uh, the fourth coach is the one that landed on top of the final one so uh, that that that's kind of there i think the description's already been 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 kind of done quite well in the animation so that was the yeah, the, the, the behaviour of the train in the derailment, the damage is sustained, are described in more detail in paragraphs 453 to 469. So we will we'll read through that detailed description of the behaviour of the vehicles. Um, the description is, description is harrowing. What I'm going to do is we'll read the detailed description of, of exactly what the behaviour of each vehicle was. I've always found that to be a, bit, a little more valuable for learning what, what, what happened, what went wrong. Um, the contractor staff working on the scar protection project uh, at the bridge had a small team on site to protect plant and equipment from rising water levels. Two people were standing by the river when they heard, um, quotes, a loud rumbling noise from above and ran as the derailed vehicles fell down the embankment. The contractor's supervisor made a 999 call to report the accident at 0937 hours. At uh, 0943 hours after the 999 call had ended, Police Scotland advised Network Rail route control of a report of a train off the track and on fire between Carmen and Stonehaven. Uh, this was passed to the signaller at Stonehaven who called the Carmen signaller and um, five minutes later, the signal has acted to stop any further train movements. Um, so then you can see you know, the, the contractor staff, the story staff, provided initial assistance to the injured people. They also used a small excavator that was on site to move their portable fuel tank away from the scene and to place a timber mat across the river to make a temporary bridge access uh, bridge to access the site. So, so immediately they started 
those those contractors started doing the things they could within their power to sort of make this make recovery safer and easier. Uh, the excavator was later used to put water on the passenger coach fire using its bucket, which was successful until the fire spread beyond the reach of the excavator. Uh, local residents also responded and provided assistance to injured people and the emergency services. Um, yeah, so network rail staff um, made their way to, to the, the incident from the signal box. Uh, they were unable to communicate with route control because of the poor phone signal. Um, they, they were John people helping out. Uh, the conductor had been travelling as a passenger on the train, phoned current signal box from the landside telephone, having walked southwards along the line from the site of the accident. So she'd walked south to get to, to make contact as quickly as, as she could. The accident occurred at a location surrounded by agricultural land and woodland. Uh, so it's a huge distance from the from the nearest main road. It's a kilometre from the nearest public road. Uh, without a nearby distinctive feature recognisable outside the railway industry. So this re- resulted in some uncertainty among the emergency services about the exact location of the accident and the means of reaching it from public roads. So there's a bit of a problem there, not, not necessarily a communication challenge, but an issue in actually getting the communicating the, the, the best access point. Despite these challenges, the first police Scotland responders uh, got to the scene, you know, what's that, uh, nearly... Just just about half an hour after the after the derailment uh, and the ambulance about another six or eight minutes after that, um, the the fire and rescue kit was too large to get close to the accident um, and it started to arrive on the nearby road at about ten twenty. Despite um, uh, yeah, so so despite these access problems, the fire service extinguished the fire. So the the the, the firefighters got down uh, with a handheld kit and put the fires out themselves. Um, so. Yeah, so we, we can see here that it took, you know, so there's, there's the transfer of the site. Um, it was 7th of September before the first of the vehicles was, was removed from site, 7th of September, and then it was the 15th of September where the, the last vehicle was lifted from the railway and the line was handed back to Network Rail um, on 19th of September um, and they'd begun repairs already, so it took until the 3rd of November um, until the, the line was reopened for traffic. Um, and investigations on the land above the railway continued until April 2021. This included digging trial pits and boreholes to identify soil types and field drains to undertake on-site measurement of groundwater and generally to recover samples of soil and gravel for off-site testing so they could get a really good geotechnical understanding of the, of the issues there to, to, to feed into the, um, to feed into the, the, the report. Um, yeah, this is, this, so this is, yeah, this is why I did a content warning because this is pretty harrowing. So, we're into the analysis section. This is obviously where we're going to spend a lot of time. The the train derailed. So this this is they, they, this is the, the format of RIB reports. Is they they make they state the obvious. Uh, they they highlight that statement of the obvious, and then they provide the evidence justifying it. So the immediate cause was the fact that the train derailed because it was it struck washout debris, and you can see the the front facing CCTV. This is the final frame uh, recovered. So this is what the driver saw before. You know this image is what the driver saw before they, um, before that you know it's the last thing they saw before they're actually striking. Uh, it's pretty, pretty frightening. Um, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not going to name I, I'm not going to name everyone involved because I think it uh, until the end where we'll we'll spend a minute just sort of thinking on on, on what happened. But I, I'm going to continue to name them as uh, as as driver, conductor, and um, yeah, I, I think yeah, feels like the right thing to do. So that's the last image there. You can see that's that's the kind of the zoomed in, um, sort of the zoomed in uh, from the frame there, and then the footage of the rear. The view from the rear train, you can see it having gone through. You can see the water flowing through there. You can see it. Um, I know it's quite small for anyone watching on their phone, but you can sort of see 
Um, uh, yes, so that's it's pretty... Yeah, so you can see the train's gone through it. So by that point, the front of the train will have already been falling off the bridge, actually, given its length and the distance it would have travelled. Or certainly the train is... You know, the, the accident will have... Be well, well through the process of the accident there. Um, and... So we can see kind of the, so, so how they know this is from the CCTV images of the train, grooves cut through the debris, which are consistent with the passage of the train through. So this is just showing that they evidence, detailing the evidence of precisely why they know that's what happened. Um, sleeper damage is consistent with the impact from several derailed wheel sets. You can see there's the washout debris uh, covering the track. Uh, you can see the grooves cut by the wheels of the train uh, through the debris. So you can sort of see those grooves. Um, uh, washout debris covering both uh, running rails and the downline. So we know this stuff. We know this is the immediate cause and sort of. Um, and this is an explainer. You can see an explainer here showing how this is the classic, the classic way of understanding precisely what the dynamics of a vehicle's derailment uh, are. Um, those come from looking at flange marks on the railhead. It's because it's a, the rails are strong. You can even if they've been shattered, you can piece them back together again. And the marks of a flange. The, the the actual flange tip here of the of the of the wheel, are, they're very distinctive and you can trace them very carefully and, and clearly. Um. So, uh, you can sort of see there. That's explaining how that, that kind of how that works. And, and there's there's lots of detail here going into that. We can see what happened. Um. Uh. So it's kind of explaining. Uh, what's happening? So this is just. I just want to check that I'm not going to go through. Um, so this is talking about angle of attack of the of the of the flangeways, talking about what happened. Um, observation of the derail wheel pass and the ballast. So this is how this is just explaining how they've understood the dynamics. And I, I don't need to go into. I think you can read it, but this is just an explanation of how they understand it. Um, uh, kind of explanation here of the forces, um, and we'll go through. Well, exactly how each vehicle behaved through we'll, we'll go into detail and, and about the damage to each one as well uh, so some stuff about the pre-accident infrastructure condition um, uh, ballast depths on the approach to the bridge were not exceptional for this type of location, no evidence the ballast profile was, was non-compliant, so that's fine, good talking about ballast depths, so it's basically saying the infrastructure was fine, bridge 325 was not causal to the initial derailment but the presence of the structure and the way in which its upper parts were constructed affected the consequences as explained above yeah, so the fact that it didn't have a robust curb to and, and a parapet that's strong enough to keep the train within it contributed to the to the fact that it fell off the fell off the uh, fell off the bridge. Uh, instability of the cutting slope, um, excluding material washing the drains immediate drains was not a factor in the accident, as demonstrated by the composition of debris. Yeah, the debris was from the drain, not the slope itself. Uh, maintenance states of the train. So following the accident, RIB examined the maintenance and overhaul records. So you can see here. Um, power cars are compliant with Scott Rail maintenance uh, plans. That's fine. No outstanding defects or other maintenance issues uh, relevant to the accident were recorded. Similar examination of the the coaches found no outstanding defects or maintenance issues, with the exception of the deferred overhaul on coach D. Uh, so that's the the, the leading um, coach discussed below. The coaches were fully compliant with their maintenance and overhaul plan. Coach D was due to receive a C6 overhaul in February 2020, but this had been deferred as required by ScotRail's safety management system. ScotRail had carried out a risk assessment justifying this deferment. 
Uh, REIB has carried out a review of the content of the deferred overhaul. Such an overhaul would normally encompass works such as inspection and rectification of vehicle corrosion. However, such corrosion works had been carried out when the vehicle is fitted with power-operated sliding doors. None of the remaining deferred tasks would have had any effect on the cause or the consequences of the accident. So that's a kind of a key paragraph to read out and understand. So, identification of the causal factors. So this is where we go into understanding, okay, these are some of the issues. The, the fact there was a washed-out drain... Um, is one issue. So the fact that the drain the drain washed out. So uh, specifically, um, if the drainage system had been installed in accordance with the design, it's highly likely to have safely accommodated the flow of surface water. However, as installed, so the, the fact so the design was fine, the installation was the problem. The drainage system, as installed, was unable to to, to cope with the, the the major flow coming through that day. Um, uh, this occurred because the gravel in the drainage trench was vulnerable to wash out with large flow. And it's also uh, because Carillion did not construct the drain in accordance with the designer's requirements. There's a lot to learn from from me personally and my colleagues in this. This is why, um, uh, yes, this is kind of there's there's going to be a lot to, to pick out and focus on here. Uh, the RIB also identified the following possible causal factors. So Network Rail's project team were probably unaware that the drain was significantly different from that intended by the designer, and therefore did not take action. So there's there's a key causal factor. Another one, network rails processes that were intended to ensure a managed transfer of safety-related information from constructor to infrastructure manager were ineffective, as built. Uh, and the next one was no action was taken by network rail or Carillion when water flow in Gully 1 caused slight erosion to the gravel surfaces in the new drainage trench before the works were completed. So, so those are some issues there. With regard to railway operations, RAIB identified the following causal factors. So, so if you like, that first thing there was the CDM stuff, the construction design management stuff really critical this next stuff is about crisis management um network rail did not have suitable arrangements in place to allow timely and effective adoption of additional operational mitigations in case of extreme rainfall it's a bit of a mouthful basically they're saying um if there's lots of rainfall that wasn't forecast there are no arrangements in place at the time for network rail to adopt extra mitigation extra operational mitigations so pulling in extra staff and things like that Although aware of multiple safety-related events caused by heavy rain, route control staff were not required to and did not restrict the speed of the train on its northward journey from Carmenston Haven. Something that should have happened, didn't happen. The next thing is, this, is, is um, that the signaller and driver were not required to and consequently did not restrict the speed of, tra of the train to below that normally permitted. So there's a mixture of, train, of route control staff and the signaller and driver not being required to, and, uh, uh, to reduce the speed of the train. So it's a shortcoming in operational procedures. It's not the fault of individuals in that situation. It's the fault of procedures. Um, so this is kind of where we get highlighted a bit. Had the drainage system been installed in accordance with the design, it's highly, it's highly likely to have safely accommodate the flow of surface water. However, as installed, the drainage system was unable to do so. So this is this is kind of then looking at these, looking at this in detail. And we're now going to go through these these things in, in a lot of detail. So. Um, this is this is kind of the really key. So there's lots of chat going on in in, in kind of in, in in the side. Hello to everyone uh, in there. Good good discussion. If there is a particularly key thing, do at me. But I've been glancing over and, and all the I'm kind of addressing all the added things that I think are relevant. So there was a, as we've kind of discussed, there was a scheme needed to to a new drainage scheme was was required uh, and that was installed uh, in in 2011 2012 over kind of in two installations uh, the drain was intended to accommodate flows of the one in 100 re year return period so that's that, that that's the a return period is the expectation of we will be able to, to accommodate the the 90th or the 95th percentile flood ex expected within that that 100 year period um 
the science of return periods can be a bit fiddly, but but that's often they are they are based on potentially. You always have to evaluate what they're based on because quite often they're based on outdated flow data that is not accounting for climate change, uh, or not accounting for it well enough. However, uh, the design assumed that water reaching the surface of the drain would be distributed along substantial lengths of the drain, the normal way in which this type of drain operates. So rather than, so, so you design that you, you're kind of getting an average flow kind of, and, and I'll show you the pictures in a minute. In fact, let's look at the pictures. Um, so you can see here, this is the, the sort of the, the aerial view. Uh, and here's the catchment topography. So the color represents altitude. So you can sort of see the steepness here. You kind of the, the top of the hill, and then it kind of flows down towards the towards the railway. There, you can sort of see it happening. That, that's that's kind of a couple of useful pictures to show. And the intention here. So this is the design drawing, right? This is the design, uh, which I think is relevant, absolutely critical, in fact. So the design is such that there is an e a reasonably even flow of water flowing down the hill into that drain. So you have a drain that kind of goes down the hill, a relatively even flow of water down that uh, down into that um, into that drain, which means that you the design doesn't have to be you don't have to design for a huge amount of focus flow. Your design is such that um, uh, it can cope with, uh, with with a reasonably high flow, but it's distributed down. So you, you've distributed it down the pipe, right? Um, so there we go. Uh, and we've got so, so it's kind of some uh, there. So it's just saying it's an annotated version. So you see, there's 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 a kind of an inlet chamber. You've got the, these CPs are catch pits. So that's what we catch pits are what we use to either change the direction of drainage or to well both both to change the direction of drainage, um, and to uh, and to use it as a clean. So the catch pit. You've got two pipes, and the catch pit has a lower bit, and so the water flow goes into the catch pit, slows down, lifts up, and then flows through the pipe following. That means that material. The fact that it goes down fills that up means that leaves and crap can kind of build up in there and you can there's a there's a lid on top take the lid away go in there fetch fetch, fetch the stuff the flow of the water makes sure the pipes aren't full of crap just the the catch pit catch pit fills with stuff that stuff gets taken away um access through the catch pit lid those are catch pits and they, they take all different shapes and sizes you'll see them as rectangles with blue lid uh in or, or with a lid in modern drainage it's generally a blue lid you see catch pits around on the railway quite often uh, so there's several catch pits you can see here. Uh, it's a very familiar looking bit of dra dra drainage design. You've got the kind of the, the, the blue lines there showing the uh, the, run the rail running edges. Uh, you've got this catch pit here. So you'd say, just pointing out already, that the catch pit 17 here wasn't actually built. So there's some, some sort of emissions already there being from the annotation. This annotation here is from, is from the RIRB. And you can sort of see the the uh, kind of a long section of the drain. This is exaggerated in in in... in uh, in kind of vertically, but you can sort of see the drainage here. You've got the, the drain following the top of the hill and then coming down the crest, kind of following the peak of the crest, and then down to, to the railway level. And there you can sort of see it. Um, so fairly fairly straightforward, standard sort of drainage stuff you see on off-track drainage. Um, Tom says, as long as someone remembers to empty it. Uh, remembers to or more likely is funded to and has a team to do so. Um, uh, here are some drain catchment areas. So they're talking about these. These are the, the calculation, the precise post kind of the the post-disaster uh, analysis of the of the catchment areas. So these catchment areas are the amount of water, the amount of water that would be expected to flow into the lengths of pipe between catch pits. So you can see see the catch pits here and the, and the flows associated with them. The kind of the 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 the, the, the kind of the flows associated there. There we go. So um, so there's the kind of the flows there. Um, so before construction of the drain, most surface water reaching the funnel would flow into a into a ditch running along the lower part of the funnel, uh, da, 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 designated the pre-2010 ditch. So there was a bit of a ditch that ran into a funnel, and then that went out here. So it's, that's the pre-2010 
Uh, that was the acknowledged problem drainage design. That, that the, Before this ARP design, there was an issue there. That's what the ARP design was fixing. Um, so here we've got some... Uh, we've got a, sort of... Yeah, here we go. So... Uh, right, so what we've got is this is this is the section between catch pits 18 and 19 down here. And we've got this gravel fill over the perforated section and then over the non-perforated section, so the pipe without perforation. Uh, it's probably just a corrugated plastic kind of G GRP pipe is what you'd expect. Um, and uh, you can see here that this, this then gets filled up with locally one material, so just stuff they found in the field. Um, now... What's really relevant, so this is the pre-construction funnel details on the, the kind of the, this is, yeah, this is on the post-2020, basically this graphic, I think this will get, let me just flip through, yeah, this this gets picked up in a minute. So this is just describing what, what it was before and after and kind of, so here's a sketch plan showing the drain layout and anchor So here's the kind of the, the pre-track drainage before it was then in, fixed. So this is what the drainage used to look like, da-da-da-da-da, fine. Um, then this is, again, showing the kind of the pre-design arrangement. This is what's relevant, this thing, this bund. This bund was not part of the design. This bund was constructed by Carillion. Um, as understood, I think we'll get into the detail of that momentarily. This bund here is... Uh, and you can sort of see it in this. This is a, a kind of a LIDAR view showing the kind of the topography. So you can sort of see the shape. There's mostly uh, the vegetation is, is kind of hidden away. You can sort of see the where the drainage pipe went. You can see where it washed out. You can see this gully that's been built. And we're going to get to this. Um, so I'm going to read this out kind of essentially verbatim. Uh, a post-accident... Actually, let's just check what the previous text was. Da -da 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 -da. Before construction... They're fine. So I want to understand the, the, kind of the detail here. So uh, apologies as well. Just be aware I'm going to be flicking between pages fairly quickly. So, uh, yeah. Um, oh, what's a burn? Uh, it's a Scottish Scottish for a stream. Oh, everyone's just said that already, David. Yeah, sorry. A burn is, is, is Scottish for stream. A wee stream. Uh, a post-accident survey conducted over several days as the gorse cover was carefully removed from the, f the funnel surface located a bund, an artificial ridge, which was almost certainly absent before the drain was constructed. This bund intercepted most water flowing into the funnel and guided it towards the new drain at a point about seven metres upslope of CP18. A gully with a shape consistent with being caused by water erosion had formed on the upslope side of this bund and is designated Gully 1 in this report. Okay, fine. Another gully developed in the lowest part of the funnel on the line of the pre-2010 ditch and passing close to CP18. Okay, fine. Um, so there's... Fine. So the, basically, the, the site inspection found that um, the, the stuff on the track was mostly this... Uh, the, the, the gravel-filled drain which had been washed out. It was most of the material that was actually washed out from the drain. Um, there, let's see. What else? So... Yeah... Okay, so that's 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 all the evidence of the stone. So that's, that's kind of not hugely. Okay, let's have a look at this. So, um, so uh, Acom, big old Acom, got involved to kind of do some of the post. Uh, kind of they, they reviewed the, the drainage design, so they basically act as a, as a check. Uh, uh, you know, for the RAI, the RAIB, they looked at the 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 drainage design to understand um, how effective it was. Um, you know, this design from a long time ago. So they're looking at the design from ten years ago, but that's what they're doing. Um, they did some. 
they also did testing of, of soils in the area. They um, they also designed the, the scheme as built, so that they, they, they looked at the as built scheme based on what was surveyed by uh, the RI after the accident. Um, uh, yes, so they they also kind of uh, and this is all in collaboration with the Met Office, who obviously have the the kind of the rainfall data as well. Um, okay, so. This is just some evidence of the of the material being looked at. Um, fine. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, interestingly, these are taken by the fires by Police Scotland. Um, you can see organic growth in the base of the gully. So this is the gully. This is the, it's a very steep, washed out gully. So this is the bund here, this weird bund, and then the gully that was formed, washing into the drainage system. So you see, this is not not. It's already washing through. This picture of the drainage system washing through as well. Uh, so here's the um, the the, the, the rainfall. Uh, so so here's the Met Office analysis of the rainfall data. So they're looking at how much is, is falling on the site, a huge amount. Um, so they get the return period for this event. It's a 144 year return period using the the methodology that had been used in the design. And then using the more updated uh, methodology, so accounting for climate change a little bit better, um, it's a hundred-year return period. So actually, the, the the rainfall was right on the limit of the design, but it was right on the limit of the design. And and you know we designed with a bit of tolerance as well. So um, it's the duration of that rainfall that makes this event particularly unusual. The return periods for the most intense fifteen minutes of rainfall during the stir storm are twenty-three years and eight years respectively for the nineteen ninety-nine and twenty thirteen methodologies. Um, Interestingly, this is this is interesting. This is this was in a wider area of exceptionally heavy rainfall. Okay, so it's just a description of the rainfall there, uh, and it's describing kind of the volumes of the of the rainfall and the return period. Um, so over the three-hour duration, you've got this 144-year return period. Um, but the issue is that this is, yeah. Um, okay, let's keep going because I I, just, I, I think that, that that'll be made more clear as we kind of keep going through. Um, Matt, we'll get through to um, the work, the, the Carillion work sign-off when, when we get there. So, uh, ACOM an analysis uh, demonstrate that the, the drain pipe work was of adequate size to carry the surface runoff associated with the rainfall. However, satisfactory drain performance also depended on the runoff percolating through the gravel and into the pipe work or reaching the pipe work through a connection from another drainage system. Site observations indicated that this had not happened, so ACOM undertook an overland flow analysis to establish the amount and locations at which surface water... So they're just doing this analysis and they're saying that the surface runoff um, flows um, were... There we are. So it's talking about the effect of the bund concentrating flow into the gully. Um, and sort of they're saying that the overland flows... Yeah, so they're saying it peaked. Yeah, well, it's kind of irrelevant if we don't understand what the relevant... So I won't even read it out. But basically, it's kind of going through. They're saying they estimated that um, 14 litres per second of water could percolate through the gravel into each metre of drain. But at the point at which the gully was directing the water, there was a flow of 140 litres per second. So that's ten times the rate of natural per of kind of acceptable design percolation into the system, as a result of that bund creating this concentrated flow of water. Um, so there we go. So in order to access, uh, sorry, in order to address uncertainties, okay, da 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 da. Um, they're they're doing some testing. Okay, so lot, Acom doing lots of tests. Here's them, them doing some analysis, the kind of the best guess analysis, and you can see. There's, there's some flow into the burn. There's some water flow going here. So the burn directs some water, the little stream. The water flow going here into the drainage system, reasonably well distributed. But you'll see there's a lot of empty space. This white here is because the water is not distributing evenly. It's being focused down on the other side of that bund and into the gully. 
and then into the drainage system. So, um, da -da 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 -da, so they're looking at some of the flow rates. So there's, there's lots of detail in flow rates, but I think that's quite clear. Uh, looking at velocities, and actually you can see that, that gully is really accelerating kind of the velocities of the water as well here. Uh, so there's kind of a, some, some analysis of that. So we're not going into super, super detail because we've only got limited time. Not sure what return period means in this context. So the return period is the time within which you would expect a certain volume peak of flow. So if I go, right, I'm going to design my system to cope with the 100-year return period. So what is the maximum flow I can expect to ever happen with a, within a reasonable likelihood within that 100 years? If you were designing to a 20-year return period, you'd be looking at a lower number you'd be looking at designing a less a less robust system. If you're looking at a 200-year return period, you're looking at a more robust system. Does that make sense, David? Have I explained that reasonably well? Uh, Matt Reed, that's a difficult... You, you've asked, um, when designing drainage on the railway and taking into account rainfall, how much extra rainfall do you take into account? Well, a lot. So as I've described, we, we look at a return period. So we look at a likely realistic... Uh, so we look at, so so say, the 95th, 90, the 90th, 95th or 99th, perhaps, percentile of rainfall within a certain return period of 100, 100 years, 120 years, perhaps. Um, and we then use that to size our pipes and design the robustness. We look at flow rates as well to design the robustness of the material holding the pipe. Um, and we add safety factors onto that as well. So it's not just that number. We also add a safety factor, as with any design. And so here's a kind of a, a looking at the, the kind of the deposit. So this is looking at the amount of flow. Um, uh, and so the washout design consideration. So the washout was in part a consequence of the relatively steep drain slope of approximately one in three. ACOM has not identified and RAIB is not aware of any requirement or good practice guide which would suggest this was inappropriate for the intended use of the drain. Guidance had been available since before 2010, suggesting the slope being appropriate for drains and pipes used in some other circumstances. Arup's response to a query raised during construction... Um, demonstrates it had assessed washout risk in the context of surface flows reaching the drain in a way which allowed them to percolate through the gravel and into the pipe, the intended method of operation. It had not considered, and there was no reason for Arup to expect, water reaching the drain as a concentrated flow, such as that from this gully that the, the Bund had created, right? Gully 1, as we're referring to it. Um, a complete blockage um, in, in the, the non-built catch pit or the other catch pits would have caused a washout of the gravel during periods of heavy rain, um, yeah, so they're saying da, 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 this could have resulted in debris. There's no evidence that this risk was assessed during the design process, uh, the risk of a blockage in the control period. Um, Arab state, there's no requirement to do so under the design approaches advocated by Network Rail, the National Highways Authorities, or Sewers for Scotland. So given the low likelihood of such a blockage event and the low likelihood of recognising the potential consequences for railway safety, it's unlikely that undertaking a risk assessment would have resulted in action affecting events, uh, so basically preventing the washout as these are not related to a pipe blockage so, so the catch pit you know they could have designed the catch pit slightly differently to avoid that but but it wouldn't have made any difference this this time it's maybe something to consider but then you know as designers we expect a reasonable level of maintenance and care so we'd expect that what that, that we don't design drainage systems to accept blocked catch pits we assume that catch pits are going to be maintained clearly because if if not then we'd have you know we'd end up with a huge monstrous kind of drainage system beyond anything that would be usefully installed drainage is already quite substantial when you design it properly uh, it's worth pointing out that drainage very often gets designed at far less than designers specify so it very sorry gets built at far less than designers specify we'll, we might just specify a 350 mil pipe diameter it's very often that uh, the designers might have a 255 mil or 250 mil or whatever in the depot and they'll just use that the the the, the, the sorry designers may specify e.g. 350 mil, the contractors building it might well have a smaller diameter pipe in, in the depot 
you know, on, you know, available for them to build. And they might well just build it like that without much kind of thought to it. So it does happen. Um, so uh, let's have a look. So we're getting to the fact that the Carillion did not construct the drain according to the designer's requirements. So we're getting to the point that... Um, so the summary of rainfall and drainage analysis. In summary, RAIB concluded the washout occurred because a bund running across the slope perpendicular to the railway had concentrated flows into gully one to the extent the capacity of the drain was exceeded. So, so, so that's the, the, the fundamental issue here. But let's get into the, the meat of the issue. Um, construction activities. Carillion did not construct the drain. Yeah, okay. So Carillion commenced uh, construction in January 2011. Uh, installation of the rockfall netting on both sides of the cutting activity. It was completed in June 2011. Um, the work on the downside cutting phase was planned to take place before drain construction work commenced to prevent site congestion at the crest of the slope. A temporary access staircase was constructed of wood down the slope at the north end of the cutting to provide a walking route for staff to access the east side of the railway by passing under the nearby Bridge 325. Okay, so that's kind of the, the prep, the kind of temporary works of stuff that they were doing. Uh, preparation for construction work, Carillion site engineer prepared a, a work package plan. That's absolutely standard. This document described how work would be undertaken both inside and outside the railway boundary fence. Fine. Um, so this was revised a few times before the, the drainage work commenced. That's pretty standard. It'll go back and forth. Designers input into the work package plan. It might be that we were, you know, um, but certainly that construction work package plan will be a Carillion document. They'll have done dozens of them, thousands of them really for their work. Um, Carillion site engineers submitted various technical queries to Arup. Standard, we get TQs from the contractor. TQ form was a single-page document which Carillion used to formally raise questions or queries about the design or drawings. Okay. Um, this this is running long enough that it might split into a two-episode one, by the way. Um, I had a feeling it might happen. I just wanted to let it happen, let the speed, no, let the flow happen naturally. Um, uh, yes, so... Uh, Tom's asking a question. Tom, is there no uh, quality control on what is designed against what is installed? Absolutely there is. We'll get to that, though. We'll, we'll get to that. There absolutely normally is, yeah. Um, so is, if, is everyone happy with the fact this will split? I think it's right that it splits into two, because I don't, I don't want to rush it. I want this to, to go at the speed that it does. It might well be that it's three. I just think that it's good for us to learn, go through this and learn. Um, uh, so it might be a bit of a, a, kind of a, a three-parter in the end. In April... Uh, okay, so that's fine. That, that's the pre That's the, the work package plan. Um, so various TQs. Most of the TQs raised during the contract related to the rock netting works, but TQs 19 and 20, uh, which were submitted at the same time, related specific, uh, specifically related to the steeply sloping section of the drain. Uh, for drainage issues, Arup's geotechnical engineer, who acted as lead designer, forwarded the TQs to the Arup drainage designer. This is a standard thing, and it looks like, you know, rightly, the contract is standard. The contractor queries a thing that, like, oh, that doesn't seem quite right. Okay, so... That doesn't seem quite right. We're going to query that. Um, TQ19 sought approval to omit one of the catch pits, which was shown on drawings partway down the steep slope, on the basis that it would be particularly difficult to install on the slope. Arup accepted this proposal on the 2nd of May 2011, noting that omission of the catch would require a deeper excavation for the pipe. Okay, fair enough. Um, but given the steepness, I dare say the flow rates would be sufficient that a catch pit is perhaps not not necessary, but they might have slightly adjusted the, the, the gradient. Um... On April 2011, 18th of April 2011, drainage materials, including pipes and catch pits, were delivered to the site in preparation for the work to commence. The following day, Carillion site engineer submitted TQ20 to Arab. It stated, Can we make the drainage section which runs down the north slope of the downside a carrier pipe rather than a filter drain? I would think the single size aggregate which is used for backfilling the drainage section will be washed out during high flows of water. Okay, interesting, yeah. Will the drain actually collect water on this gradient? It seems that the water runs down the steep slope parallel to the drain rather than towards the line. 
perpendicular to the drain. Interesting. Okay, yeah. It's uncertain what triggered Karelian's concern about the risk to aggregate washing. I'm just reading this out, sorry, but it's kind of... Arab's drainage designer was unable to respond to the TQ, uh, but the lead designer provided a provisional response. This was superseded by a final response from the drainage designer, which was issued on the 2nd of May 2011 and stated, retain filter drain between CP60 and CP18. Uh, internal Arab emails show that the drainage designer did not expect high flows of water on the drain surface as all water would filtrate to the pipe in the trench. They also expected that the geotextile fabric would provide protection against washout. Neither the drainage designer nor the members of Arab team, Arab's team were aware that this geotextile fabric would later be omitted in some areas during construction. Yeah, so the, so the idea, so basically you have a geotextile is like a bit of a, it's a fabric that is impermeable or permeable based or, or sort of based on what you're needing it to do. Um, but it's basically a geotextile is something that you use in constructive earthworks. We use them under the track, for example, when we're building the railway. Um, so, uh, yes, so, um, uh, yes, then I'm just reading what people are saying about it being a, a, a one or two parter. Yes, Gareth, I think it, it Gareth, other Gareth, um, yeah, I think it, I think it will split, um, not least because I've got, uh, I'm recording something else, um, later on tonight. So, and, and I'd like to, I'd, I don't want this to be so hefty that people don't get anywhere near it. I think splitting it is probably a good idea. Um, so maybe what I might do is split it by sort of section and then we'll, you know, anyway, um, I'm going to keep going uh, certainly to the end of this bit. I think the drainage might take us through to the end of the, the night. Um, sorry, so the, the geotextile was intended to be installed over the top of that filler material around the filter drain, kind of penning it in a bit, basically. That was the design. And so you can understand that design logic. I can follow that. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what was expected. Uh, the decision to retain the filter drain was questioned by a Carillion site agent who responded the same day. Can you please ask your drainage engineer to explain why this is required? I cannot see ooh, I cannot see what water will be collected by this drain and it will make it much more difficult and expensive to install and it seems to be acting as a carrier pipe for the upper slope drainage anyway. This is relevant. Uh, so... Uh, uh, Conscious that these people are still working, still still practicing. I don't want to second guess, but my... Uh, and I might well have worked with these people. I don't know. I don't know if the names are mentioned here. I dare say they're probably not, because it's not supposed to be a blame game situation. It's a, it's understanding the problems. But this... this I, I've come across this sort of situation before from a contractor. And I'm, I'm going to go through this. I'm not trying to paint designers as angels and contractors as devils. That's not the situation here. But it's worth us saying, clearly here, there is the the... the the, the Karelian site agent um, or, or the site, the person on site is sec has already made their mind up as to what the water behavior is here. So we've, so the reason why CDM is relevant is because the construction design and maintenance, uh, sorry, yes, the construction design and uh, management regulation, CDM 2015, um, very carefully and precisely stipulate the responsibilities of who is a designer who is a contractor, the person actually building the thing, um, and indeed who's a client. But certainly the relationship between designer and builder, the designer and, and the contractor, is explicitly laid out. And it's and the reason for that is because the, the responsibilities have to be, the, the responsibility of, of, of designing, of shaping, of specifying what the thing should look like has to fall onto one party, and that would be the designer. So having a contractor second, and likewise, you'd never have a designer, you should never have a designer specifying, you, know, you should never have a designer being involved in construction 
activities and 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 getting and, and kind of that stuff so uh, temporary works being a an example where the the line is slightly blurred but um yes so we've got a situation here that quote really worries me because it it's clear that there's some doubt that already the the, the site engineer is doubting the the installer the, the designer contractors are doubting the designer and the contractor is presupposing what the flow of water is on site now we can always learn from contract as a designer i'm always listening to the contractor i'm always listening to what their experience is i'm always listening to what they have to say about the installation um and indeed what their experience and their perceived experience is um of the of the situation so i'm always listening but in a situation like that what i would be doing is going right okay that that's the, the contractor has said that they they must be basing that on some some evidence so i'd ask for evidence i'd ask do you have some videos or some some photos of what of what you've seen in terms of water flow uh, in similar situations or, or at this site when you're doing your preparation works because it probably rained when they were there so that's possibly what the, the contractor was maybe thinking but also i'd then be looking at my own design and i'd be interrogating to make sure i'm absolutely confident in what the behavior is um i don't do detailed drainage design i do some track drainage design but i don't do detailed uh, drainage design it's 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 an art form uh well but rather it requires specific skills and knowledge but if it was a you know if it was a similar track related thing i'd be going right okay the behavior is expect i suppose a similar situation would be if um if uh if there was rough ride or some particular behavior in the existing site that the contractor had identified and and it was in contrast to what my design had specified and they thought that behavior they'd identified on site contradicted my design i'd be going right do you have evidence of what you can see okay keen to keen to kind of incorporate that if you've got evidence that you have what you've seen uh, maybe i'll go out and have a look myself uh secondly i'd be then going back to my design and go right okay given what they've said am i absolutely absolutely sure and confident what i've what i've done or what my designers have done that i'm responsible for uh works and, and is absolutely right so that's worrying to see that response so the art team then reviewed their decision and they identified a discrepancy between the contour information on the drawings being used for construction and the appearance of the site based on a photograph so the lead engineer responded to that okay so so they've identified okay they've gone all ah, right okay yeah it's worthless looking at we'll we'll, we'll uh We'll have a look uh, we've looked at this again as requested we need to ensure minimal water reaches the cutting face from the slope above by adopting the carrier pipe we'll be relying on the topography to divert away the water to the north of cp6 of, of that catch pit um our long section is based on a, a survey carried out by yourselves last year and it's not accurate in this area to resolve uh, these issues uh, we suggest you carry out a simple level survey of the points shown on the attached figure so there's a figure one that they included Although any subsequent actions concerning the above-mentioned survey remain unclear, RIB found no evidence to confirm that it was ever conducted. Oh. Uh, Carillion proposed an alternative arrangement for the slope involving the reinstatement of, CP of, of that catch pit they weren't going to build and a combination of carrier and filter drains. This proposal was reviewed by Arup and accepted, but not raised or recorded by Carillion through the TQ process and was not constructed for reasons explained in a couple of paragraphs. Okay. Um... Uh, yeah, you're right. Sorry, John. So John's pointing out that the previous iteration of CDM, CDM 2007, the version I'm actually most familiar with because it's the one that I've studied back and forth, 2015. Well, that's not true. I've had to live and breathe 20, CDM 2015 since then. But I, I remember sort of CDM 2007 is the one that I looked at as it, when I was doing my degree. It was the one that was sort of that I was looked at as a student. Uh, and it would have applied, not the, not the designer, but the coordinator apply, appointed by the client. Yeah, that's true. There's slightly subtle differences between the... So the CDM coordinator rather than the principal designer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, John. Um, so, drain installation. So in early May 2011, the lowest part of the drain was installed. This included the outlet, the pipe between the outlet and, and a catch pit kind of further back. 
and then the pipe work from that catch pit to approximately the railway boundary, so kind of lower end stuff. Um, uh, yeah, lower part. The pipe work passed through as, uh, the as-designed position. The catch pit was not constructed. This section was located close to the railway. Fine. Both excavation and installation work were undertaken during overnight railway possessions. So, so it's kind of between trains in the at uh, night, uh, kind of uh, yeah, probably like midnight to 4 a.m. type situation. Uh, the remainder of the drain was to be constructed on the landowner's side of the boundary fence, and it became necessary to pause drain construction until the necessary legal arrangements um, were in place. Whoops, standard. The legal arrangements for construction and maintenance of the drain on a strip of land alongside the boundary fence were set out in a servitude, a legal document. Okay, fine. Uh, Network Rail informed Carilli the necessary legal arrangements were in place. So that, that, that happened quite a bit later. Uh, standard Network Rail, uh, mild project management chaos plus overstretched project management. You know, there'll, there'll have been SPMs way overstretched. Um, anyway, sort of the standard thing. Carilli updated his work package plan document for the completion of the drainage works. Um, it was expected to take five weeks. Um, and da, 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 a largely new site team was appointed as the original team had dispersed after work and the project was paused. The only member of the original team to return was the site foreman. Okay. Um, by October, Carillion's new site engineer had contacted Arup to ask for copies of TQs, which he wrongly understood had not been responded to. It's not clear why these documents were not available to him from the Carillion records. I'll tell you why it's clear. It's because Carillion's records were... Record keeping in Carillion was absolutely appalling. Their document management system didn't they didn't have one. It didn't exist. It was hopeless. So that's why. Um, the following day, Arup responded providing copies of the TQs and the unfulfilled request for additional survey data. By which I mean the reason those TQs weren't available to that new, the new person is because they were in the, e the the only place they would have been was in the emails of the previous person. I absolutely, I promise you that will be the situation. Hopeless. Um, these included TQ19, omitting uh, the other catch pit. Fine. Details of Carillion's alternative proposal were not provided as the proposal had not been submitted as part of a formal TQ. So the alternative proposal wasn't taken forwards. Interesting. The remainder of the drain was installed in October and November 2012 and it involved extending the pipe already installed from, from, from that kind of the, as, as previously in May um, through the as designed location of, uh, of catch pit 18 to approximate the railway boundary. Uh, the work in 2012, so kind of, um, uh, let's see, comprised, sorry, that's May, so that's, yeah, October, November 2012, it was May 2011, so a long time afterwards that the rest of this was built. Uh, work in 2012, yeah, also, so da-da-da, seven further catch pits, 350 metres of pipe work and inspection chamber. The drain was installed within a three-metre strip uh, wide strip of land alongside and outside the railway boundary. A second fence was installed parallel to the existing boundary fence to enclose this strip of land. Fine. Accepting the provision of the TQ responses, Arup was not involved during this final, uh, this sorry, during this phase of the project. So you can see here, this is a, a, the drain shortly after completion. This is a photograph that was taken by Network Rail. You can see the cutting down there. You can see the original fence line. Um, you can see the uh, there's this kind of the field above. You can see the, the digging they've done to kind of regrade. There's the there's the um, the drain where it's been installed. So changes to the designer's requirements. The construction of a bund. Here we go. The, there is strong evidence that a bund um, was a feature constructed at about the time that the drain was completed. Evidence is that the feature is, artifi uh, is artificial, is provided by its relatively uniform cross-section, its linear alignment over a period of about 20 metres, and by construction debris, debris, wire and small piece of geotextile, geotextile, found embedded in the bund. The bund is not shown on the detailed survey undertaken in May 2020 after removal of gorse from this area is not shown on any Arab drawing. So it didn't exist before the construction works. 
The words used by Carillion to describe surface water flow in TQ20 are inconsistent with the presence of the bond. So they've, they're looking, they've, they've, they've not spotted the bond, they've not, that bond didn't exist. So the bond, so it's, we can be very confident that bond did not exist. Uh, the bond crossed, yeah, there's some evidence here. You can see that bond, that dotted line there is the bond. And that bond couldn't have existed because um, there is this sort of, um, you can see this, so this is satellite, this is Google Earth from uh, from 2011, April 2011. So this is kind of just before the first load of construction works. And you can see that there's a, a little um, access road, a little hall road that's been built. The, the bond just simply could, couldn't have been built at that, uh, couldn't have existed before because that access point is being used to get down here to access the, uh, to the, the lower part of the drain when it was built in May 2011, right? So um, by 2014, that bond is there and, and well grown over. So... The bond was built, certainly built after construction, and certainly built within a few years of construction. Given that it's overgrown and everything, it's very likely it was built at the same time. And indeed, I think we're going to get to the point where, um, yes. So there we go. We're looking at this, da, 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 da. Uh, it was found. Yeah, the, the gorse growing from the bond was found to contain tree rings, tree rings indicating approximately seven years of growth that is growing since around 2013. There's no evidence of any construction work in the area of the bond after completion of Carilli's drainage works. So, pretty much accepted that Carillion built that that bond, right? There's no evidence to explain why the bond was built, no records of any formal or informal approval for its construction. The practical effect of the bond was to constrain most water entering the funnel, so it flowed along Gully 1 and reached the 2011-2012 drain about 7 metres. As we said, it fell into this Gully 1, what we call in Gully 1, concentrated flow 10 times more than the, than the drainage was designed for, which is why it failed. Um, so here we go. So the the... Well, the designer is expecting that there was that modified version that the Carillion were building, getting built. And the contractor, for, because of the delay between the first and second stages, the contractor has forgotten that they came up with a new design and they're designing... They, they've uh, they, they've got the original Arab design, or rather the kind of the, the last accepted version of the Arab design that they're building to. Um, so they've got sort of... So da, 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 this is just explaining kind of the, the connection of the existing funnel drainage into Catchpit 18. Fine. Um, some stuff here about... Uh, yeah, so the Windows evidence confirms that the designer's intention was to capture whatever water flowed down the, the, the original ditch and, and catch it into the new drainage system. Okay, fine. Uh, pipes entering channel in pre-2010 drainage system at, in, at, at as-designed position of CP18. This is the photo taken by Arup, um looking at the original drainage system. Examination of the site after the accident found no evidence of pipes intended to connect the pre-2010 ditch to CP18. So there's a, a missing some missing stuff here. Um, there was no hole suitable for connections of this pipework. Uh, the only holes in the shaft of, of, of Catch Bay 18 were near its base and provided the inlet and outlet for the, the perforated pipework. No records have been located showing a formal or informal approval for omission of these pipe connections. So there was just, on a whim, contractors decided to skip those. Um, the clay pipe leading from the pre-2010 ditch uh, was disturbed and mostly removed when the section of the so basically, the May 2011 works, they removed that, presumably with the intention then of reinstating it soon afterwards. Obviously, the delays from the legal issue with the, the landowner have caused this, screwed that up. Um, uh, witness evidence suggests that an existing pipe was found after the work restarted, uh, but at that time, it was not connected to anything. Okay. Um, 
Okay, fine. So the protection or reinstatement of this of this situation uh, is not actually going to have been the key issue because it was the bund, this stupid bund that built. This that diverted most of the surface water away from the area and towards the via gully one towards the new drain. Um, so there's there's a bit of consideration of of what would happen if that bund hadn't been constructed. Um, and so in the hypothetical scenario where that bund didn't exist, most surface water in the funnel would have flowed into the bottom of this of the, of the kind of the the funnel feature that we're talking about of the old drainage system, um, there would be no large water flows uh, over the drain upslope of the, so that, that the new drain wouldn't have had these these surges of water into it. Um, all the flow reaching the bottom funnel would have passed through the pipe into the catch pit, and there would have been no washout. So um, that issue is not such an issue. Uh, you know, without the bond, even with the omission, you wouldn't have had the problems. Um, but we would have had. Um, a washout of the drain downslope of uh, of catchment eighteen, um, and it would have reduced the likelihood of, of kind of yeah that that basically it's saying that so the, if that it would have had a washout further down though, but it, that but the assessment is that that washout the volume of material that would have been washed out, um, so actually more than yeah so so about half the material that was washed out uh, came from below that that catchment eighteen. So uh, in the hypothetical scenario of no bund and no connection from the funnel bottom into CP18, the washed out volume and therefore the depth of debris over the rails would have been significantly reduced. This would have reduced the likelihood of the left-hand leading wheel lifting onto the railhead and into derailment. So so they're saying that without the bund, even with the, the screw-up that they've done further down, that bund is the problem and, and, and causing the issues. Um, uh, so relocating catch pit 18. So the... the, the Okay, fine. So there's this. Let me just go through and see. So I'm gonna the relocation of catch bait. Let's skip forwards to to. Are they gonna talk about the bund? So there's the um da da da. No evidence of the ditch. No evidence of function drain. Da, 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 da. Okay, so that's not a huge. Uh, we we can we can skip over that bit. I think the lack of geotextile lining to the trench uh is is clearly critical. So we know that's critical. Uh, geotextile was just entirely omitted in the area of the washout, as shown by post-accident excavation of the drain. Um, let's see. Da, da, da. This is, yeah, it's, it's just pointing out that it's a sheet which allows water but not fine soil particles to pass through it. That's what a geotextile is, yeah. Uh, let's see what it says about Carillion. Uh Let's see. So... Okay, the absence of the geotextile. So this is where the geotextile was supposed to be installed. See, around looping around to provide protection and also to sort of hold together the. Um, uh, so you've got on one side you've got the geotextile, on the other side you've got an impermeable membrane. So it's encouraging flow into the pipe. That's the whole point of it. It's encouraging flow into the pipe, and stopping fines from reaching into the pipe as well. So what I mean by that is you've got these nice aggregates that form a nice matrix for that water flow. The last thing you want is for like fine mud to be washed through them, which is why you use the geotextile. Um, the absence of that geotextile would have allowed fine soil particles to enter the gravel during the years between construction and the accident, which is a possible explanation for the proportion of fine particles exceeding the amount specified by the designer. Um, the finer particles would have impeded the flow of water from the ground surface to the pipe and so increased the amount of water flowing over the surface of the drain and thus increased the likelihood of a washout. However, even if water flow was not impeded by the fine particles, the gravel and pipe perforations would not have had the capacity to transport the amount of water likely to have arrived at the drain from gully one, from this this focus. It still would have failed as a result of the of the gully one thing. So the geotextile mixed mixed uh, impact on the on the failure. 
Uh, drain under construction late 2012, showing the section between... Yeah, so this is it under construction. You can see the geotextile there being installed. So you can see the impermeable, the impermeable sheet and the geotextile. You see what they look like. A little bit of water. Um... So, uh, site cut holes in catch pits. Okay. I don't think those would have made much of a difference. So, yeah, there's da -da -da. gravel was washed out. would be no gravel to restrict the rate. So, yeah, it's not much you can do to understand that. But basically, site cut holes is not a good idea. They should be cut by the by a manufacturer and, and, and adjust because that, that ain't good. That ain't, that ain't good. You can see that. that in-site cut hole and if it is done in, on site it needs to be kind of done carefully and then sealed kind of afterwards uh, so locally dug fill upslope of, of so this is kind of da -da -da, okay some uh, just pointing out um, that this is not this is this wasn't a problem the bend a sharp bend was installed one meter down slope um, this is a consequence because are moving a catch pit away um, this, this had little effect on drain capacity uh, the as-built condition of the drainage pipe um, section of pipe which had been installed at an angle so its perforations are on the side rather than the upper part of the pipe so that's rubbish would have allowed the pipe uh, water to escape from the pipe into the surrounding gravel and the pipe is only 20% full instead of 50% full so that you can see the top is supposed to be perforated and the bottom is sealed but then what they've done is install it on the side so essentially it's like a, a, the top bits allows water to flow because essentially it's creating a channel if you rotate it if you install it that way, you've screwed that up, haven't you? It is usual to take photos during construction, yeah. Um, uh, but also for those to be in personal phones and not actually ever relate to anyone else. Um, I mean, they are used for asbilt photos, so so mixed feelings. Um, da -da 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 -da. So this the steep gradient. So this. Yeah, this this wouldn't have had any particular impact given the situation. So the so here we go. The control of construction changes. The contractual arrangement between Network Rail and Carillion meant that Carillion was responsible for the delivery of works in accordance with designs prepared by Arup and approved by Network Rail, together with amendments agreed through formal processes during the construction phase of the scheme. Fine. No evidence of the decision making that led to the construction of the bond has been found. Furthermore, there is no evidence that changes such as construction of the bond, uh, movement of the catch pit and a remission of the connections to, to that catch, but were dealt with as part of a formal design change process. Changes of this type should have been referred to Arup as the designer through the technical query process. It is, uh, it is possible that this would have resulted in Arup identifying and resolving the mismatch between its design and the circumstances on site. It's not possible. I'd say it's highly likely. Um, but yeah, I think they're being, they're being RAIB restrained in that point. When the first phase of drain construction was complete... Okay, so da-da-da-da-da... They're kind of describing uh, the the update of that work package plan. Um, yes, uh, it only covered work outside the railway boundary, so it was incompatible with construction constructing. Ah, so basically, the work package plan didn't didn't allow them to build the catch pit where they were supposed to. There's no evidence of any instruction regarding the position of catch pit being given to the site engineer for the second phase of the work. Uh, he therefore selected the position himself and made decisions concerning con connections to this catch pit based on his own assessment of site requirements hmm uh, the original Carillion site agent ceased to be involved uh, from the middle of 2012 from this time onwards a site agent on a nearby site had been asked to oversee the work his involvement was limited on the basis that the work was considered to be within the competence of the site foreman and the second phase site engineer. Although both the first and second phase site engineers were aware of the requirements lead relating to technical queries, Arup's records indicate that no queries were made for the alterations to the 
that cash bit 18 or are the changes described yeah okay so so basically yeah okay network rails project team were probably unaware that the drain as built was significantly different to that intended by the designer and therefore did not take action that's a, a definite causal factor um Construct so it's in accordance with the design and build arrangement. So Carillion were the key interface with Network Rail. Arup were just providing design services to Carillion. That's a kind of a key thing to to kind of point out. Um, so there's a description of the, of the various processes. Zero two zero zero nine is the is the roles and responsibilities uh, in accordance with CDM. That's the standard that we refer to. Zero uh, eight uh, describes the interface between. Um, different internal organizations, uh, maintenance organization and project team, including the contractor. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, yeah, the process to find network rail staff roles during a project. The project manager, um, yep. The DPE, who's the lead the lead technical assurance person in charge of a, a number of other project engineers. So the DPE is kind of the lead technical person. Person appointed by network rail accountable to, for the coordination and integration of technical and engineering aspects. Yes. And then inputs from the relevant asset engineer, asset managers. Um, fine. So, okay, let's, whiz, let's kind of whiz through this. This is talking about the various forms, uh, the forms, the, the relationship, to, uh, kind of the, so the, the schedule of deliverables, interaction between the root asset manager and the design and then the contractor. Um, fine. There was no stated requirement for the DP to personally inspect the works during construction. They were tasked by the standard 02009 to formally accept the construction on behalf of Network Rail. So it's kind of on the DP to, 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 to build a relationship of trust or to go and inspect themselves that construction work. Um, the standard allowed for this acceptance to be based on a sample review of a submission made by the construction team and confirmation that proper quality assurance processes were in place. You assume a competent contractor, right? You, you make that assumption. It's quite reasonable to make that assumption because that contractor can only legal, they only can operate within a legal framework that says they are competent to do so. Um, no such submissions or evidence of formal acceptance of design changes have been found by RAIB. Hmm. The network rail team also included a construction manager who visited the site regularly and was also responsible for overseeing other projects. Witness evidence shows that this that his main responsibility was to monitor site safety arrangements. They also checked the general standard work, but not the detail of every item. As network rail was not responsible for the design, he would not normally be consulted when technical queries were raised or be involved in any design decisions. Okay. Uh, there are no surviving records of the work undertaken or of any site meetings or discussions. So, so, da, 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 okay, so no surviving records of, of work undertaken. There's no as-built here. Unless informed verbally or through correspondence, network rail staff would not have been aware of changes made during construction. So there are no red-line drawings, no as-built drawings. A red-line drawing where you've got an as-built um, uh, where, uh, yes, the, you, you'd have red lines marked up from the design. You have the, the AFC, the, the approved for construction drawing, which would have a stamp from the designer saying approved for construction. You then have red lines marked on that or, or scribbles marked on that, whatever it happens to be, by the installation team, the contractor, saying, look, we changed this, we moved this. And then what should happen is that that would then get processed into an as-built drawing, a, a Z01 or sometimes they're called, but an as-built drawing that the designer would be would create and then submit to Network Rail for their records as part of the health and safety file. That's the process that it should be. Clearly did not happen. Um so here we go some stuff about contracting licenses uh let's whiz through that uh it's a bit about the principal contractor licenses so so essentially yeah okay so that's fine we can skip through that so here we go as built drawings and records 
So this is saying azimuth drawings are absolutely necessary. Um, completion... Yeah, completion of the as-built drawings by Arup would have, would have provided an opportunity for it to recognise that the works had not been completed in accordance with its design. Absolutely. Um, despite the following requests from Arup to Carillion in late 2011, witness evidence shows that it did not receive the information needed to complete the as-built drawings. Here are comments from Arup. This is this is key. So this is this for me is like the designer is, is kind of pushing for this. I'm conscious that we have not issued as-built drawings for you for the current work to you for the current works these form part of the original agreed scope of work since my last visit to site in june 2011 i understand Carillion have completed the works could you please arrange to provide us with your markups of the afc drawings so we can update and issue the as-built set um that was from october 2011 when they were unaware the drainage work was incomplete so that was just a, a message sense with them reckoning that it probably had been and then by 2011 by december 2011 uh, another another comment saying uh, which was to, so that was to, uh, yeah, so that you'll recall we are still waiting for the corrections to the construction drawings so we can issue the final as-built drawings. Uh, 02009, the standard, requires the DPE to verify that as-built records accurately reflected the status of the infrastructure to be taken into operation and used by Network Rail. Um, so there's the sort of standard clauses. There are no records to confirm that the DPE had done this, so that, they have to take some ownership of this. Um, our, here we go. So RIB also observes that the CDM, CDM regulations required that a health and safety file be prepared, which should contain all the information that might be needed for future construction activities involving the new and modified asset. It's generally considered essential to include as-built drawings as part of a health and safety file since they are needed for future construction activities involving the asset. It's the responsibility of the CDM coordinator to ensure that all of the information that is needed is assembled. So that would have been network rail here. Uh, although witness evidence suggests the possibility of some associated documentation be provided by Carillion, no trace of the health and safety file or the as-built drawings has been found. Had such a file been prepared for the drainage works at Carmel, it's possible that the absence of as-built drawings would have been recognised and rectified. Um, yeah, really not good. And I have to just just to Matt Reed is saying this sounds awful and should not have happened. How many other projects has this happened? I'm sorry, this is incredibly frequent. This, there's, there's no two ways about it. This is incredibly frequent. I've been on several projects where I've chased as-builts and, uh, and, and, and to this day, I've still... You know, it's one of the things I did after this when, when the report came out is go back through and look at my as-built situations and check if any situations could... You know, whether there any, is any risk associated with the, these sorts of situations. Um, yeah, I, I'm in a position now as a CRE where none, none of my CRE jobs have not had as-builts um, that I've been aware of being produced and then you know, it, essentially because as a CRM generally responsible for seeing those as-built and getting signed off so um yeah uh here we go so shortly after drain was completed but before the associate fencing work was finished the landowner visited the sloping section of the drain following a period of heavy rain during this visit he took a photograph of the steeply sloping section of the drain upslope um showing fl water flowing in gully one and slight erosion of the gravel surface of the drain. The landowner stated that he had passed this evidence to Carillion or Network Rail. No evidence had been found relating to receipt of the image or action being taken in response to it. Bad. Very bad. Um, this is the landowner photograph showing... This is quite obvious. Uh, so they're still kind of doing some fencing work, but there's quite an obvious flow. The gully is already happening there, you can see. Um, the original image is overexposed. They've had to adjust it. Um, surface of drain in light snow 
looking towards Catchpit 18 and Railway about 2013. Okay, so there's an inspection. They're seeing that there's washout evidence here. Um, so there's the photograph. Very unlikely that the slight erosion of the gravel surface would have been immediately recognized as a precursor to a sudden washout. But it's clear there's a problem. Um, uh, yes, so it's possible that actions such as these would have resulted in provision of safe and effect. Basically, if we paid attention to the warning, um, it might have been picked up. So there's a bit of a, a bit of a shout to everyone. Um, always, 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 if you spot something that doesn't look right, no matter how it is, phone the network rail emergency number and and report it through through because you that's, it's a, that generally gets followed up. And particularly these processes are better than they were in the uh, the early 2010s. These things generally do get listed and picked up by the mom and, and, and understood. And again, this is something that we've learned from this incident. You know, Carmen, I wish we, I wish that standards were not written in blood. I think someone else pointed it out um earlier i think someone quoted it earlier so yeah so um yeah uh phone that number if you spot something so um the risk to train operation from summer convective storms okay so that's the drainage stuff uh we're now looking at the the, the kind of the management of the railway and i think given i know that we're um uh, I'm going to go big face briefly just to say, look, I, I, I think, given where we're at with it, I think it'd be worthwhile in us, um, I think it'd be worthwhile in us skipping, well, not skipping, I think it'd be worthwhile in us looking uh, to to sort of go forward, kind of uh, kind of draw this episode to a conclusion and then make progress. And kind of, we'll, we'll, we'll again, we'll not have any news, we'll make specific progress. I think we'll go, so having looked at the, Having introduced and then just looked at drainage, we'll then look at operations because there's a lot for us to learn from that as well. Um, uh, but I think what we'll do is, I think what I'll do is go back to, go back to the to, the, to, to sort of close out now. I, I say I'm waffling because I'm just making sure, but I'm gonna yes, I'm gonna close this out at this point. Given that we've been going for um, nearly two hours already, I think that's that's enough for first for part one. We'll we'll look to kind of continue this. I think it's really important that we do continue it. Uh, yeah, I, I think so, Graham. I think it's a convenient place to stop. So. Um, we'll do as many of these as we need to to get through it because I think there's an, a lots to learn and, and to be honest, as we go through each one, we can probably I'll probably pull out more details as we go through as well. So it's absolutely worthwhile, I think. Um, yeah, John, you're right. Does it show the the gully? Um, if I go back to if I go back to here and go uh, small face, yeah, it, it, it's difficult to see, isn't it? It kind of looks a bit like it does, but it's not entirely obvious from this photo. It really isn't entirely obvious from this photo, is it? Um, yes, it is a heavy report to digest. I think it's time for us to to, to move through. So um, let's get rid of my face and go back to the slides. I think, really, it's um, it's going to be a difficult one, this, isn't it? There's just a lot to process, um, but I think it's worthwhile to go through. So this this one, I'll probably rename this episode to kind of be, to, to sort of uh, explain what we're looking at, but this is certainly going to be part one. I don't know how many, I'll probably three. I think we'll manage it in three. Um, we'll see where we get to. We might manage it in two, but I think probably it'll end up being three because there's, again, operations. There's a lot to look at, a lot for us to kind of go. I've done a lot of detail in the drainage there because that's that's a domain that I understand. Anyway, the, this is, of course, going to be available in, in audio-only format. Uh, you can listen to it on all good podcasting platforms. Uh, you can support me to continue to do this stuff if you think it's important um, by going to patreon.com slash Gareth Dennis. And, and, and for anyone who's been worrying about, um, you know, all the different things they support, you know, I, I read an inch, a good thread about, like, I want to support lots of things, but I can't afford to do so. 
Um, just a shout that if you do support, you can do so for a quid. It's a quid a month. It is super cheap. It's not uh, not five, not three quid, not five quid. It's just a quid a month is the amount that you could be supporting. Other support for more. Some of you are in the chat. I'm always very grateful for it. But you can support for just a quid, and you get you get bonus goodies. Uh, Mavs get merch. Uh, I need to chase them if the abolish the treasury mug is up actually, because I really want one in the office. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm I'm gonna do that. Um. Uh, uh, paypal.me slash Dennis for loose change and, and, and abuse and uh, gaffdennis.co.uk slash discord for the discord server where I'm uh, sure lots of discussion just like is happening in the chat um, uh, will continue and there's lots of really good discussion about design and construction the relationship between them going on in there and it makes me think that there needs to be a CDM episode doesn't there really um, yes um, so next week is an episode with Harry Burr uh harry burr is joining us yes the young harry burr sorry that was a very stern voice but actually it's 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 going to be a nice a nice break from it i'll try i'll, I'll probably interspress the current episodes with a, a different one as a bit of a break so um episode 107 getting involved and staying involved with transport policy is the provisional title it might change um uh yes so that's uh, that's next week's episode and they're continuing interesting episodes going forward quite a few things that i think are going to be very interesting I, I i know i've got a backlog of guests that people are desperate to see so yeah plenty of things um to look at there right let's go big face um i'm gonna go through some of the points here uh lee uh reckons it sounds like a good idea to break the episode given it's a heavy reward to digest yeah thanks lee render yeah um tim ballon reckons there is a clear ridge line in that picture okay yeah uh, i couldn't quite see it. if we zoomed in we might be able to have a look properly gareth williams uh, i have to say i've learned things in what we've covered this evening that will come in useful at work um so thank you yep no you're welcome gareth i think hopefully this is certainly for any design career uh, colleagues this is this is obviously particularly relevant uh, and can we send an abolish the treasury mug to to dishy rishi uh, we absolutely can yes um everyone this has been I mean, as you know, rail natter is never particularly well planned. I never know exactly how things are going to be, and I prefer it to feel natural. Um, you know, I prefer it to to feel like a natural flow. I don't want to rush something like this because this is probably one of the more important subjects we've covered in the whole in the whole lot. So it's, yeah, I think it's worth pausing, taking stock, and then me going and helping do some preparation for the thing that I'm recording momentarily. But. Uh, it only remains for me to say cheerio to everyone. Uh, thanks for following. It's been a tricky one, but uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. And I will see you next week. Cheerio, everyone. Cheerio.